Hi, welcome to the 13th Warehouse, the Friday the 13th TV series edition. I'm Vicki. And I'm Ken. And this is Doug with the episode credits for Friday the 13th, the series, Season 1, Episode 2, The Poison Pen. Created by Frank Mancuso Jr. and Larry B. Williams. Written by Dernfruit King, Frank Mancuso and Larry B. Williams. And directed by Timothy Bond. Original air date, October 10th, 1987. So we're back with Season 1, Episode 2, The Poison Pen. And the cursed antique for this episode is a quill pen that kills people by writing about it. When we recorded the last episode, I said, and I'm not sure if I said it while we were recording or off the air, but I said that I wasn't going to use clips for this series. Mm -hmm. But I did, however, use a couple of clips in the last episode. Uh, It's hard because the audio is not always so great. Mm -hmm. But I think I'm just going to try to use just one or two clips that describes the situation and the cursed antique because on the Friday the 13th wiki page, they don't really have a description except for like a quill pen that kills people by writing about it. If Jack or one of them says more than that, I'll just put a clip in. But there's not going to be a lot of clips, one or two. Last week I used more than two because I wanted to get Lloyd being the jerk that he is. I wanted to get a clip of that. <laughs> but otherwise, we're not going to be using a lot of clips. But I did come across a playlist on YouTube with full episodes of the series. Oh, okay. So I didn't go through it to any extent, but it looks like all the episodes are there. Now, I don't know what the quality is like. Like I said, I haven't really gone through it or if then any of them have been blocked by YouTube. I put a link to the playlist on the last episode we did on our webpage. And I'll include it on every episode page on our website, the13thwarehouse.com, for every episode we do. His heart filled with joy at the prospect of keeping the monastery. Brother Capilado will climb to the roof to send the new case to the brother. Brother Capilado has always marveled at the miracle of flight. So this episode begins at the Eternal Brotherhood, and we see a meeting of the brothers about selling the monastery. And then we hear some narration of whatever one of the monks is writing that is sort of describing what we're watching happen to another brother who's floating on a roof as if he can fly. And as he watches his So this brother falls from the roof, and because his death was described by the whispering monk, they all think that the pen can predict the future. Not the pen. They think originally that the monk can predict the future. They call him the Oracle of Death or something. Mm -hmm. So we also find out that the brother who died was in line to be abbot and ahead of the whispering brother, the one who was writing. And I can't remember his name. I know I have it written down somewhere, and I'll get to it, I'm sure. So Ryan reads about the Oracle of Death in the newspaper, and Jack recognizes the pen because he was the one to bring it to the shop. Oh, my goodness, no. A pen. What? He's using a quill pen. A pen? Don't most monks use quill pens? I mean, uh, all points seem to be a lot of place. How would you know? All my monk friends use quill pens. But not that particular pen. I picked that one up in Tierra del Fuego. It's made from a tail feather from a giant Chilean condor. They're the worst kind. Lewis loved that. He said he got a handsome price for it, too. Mickey and Ryan 
have to disguise themselves to get into the monastery to recover the pen. And that was some crack disguise they came up with for Mickey, huh? Oh, my goodness. All I kept about saying is, are you kidding me? <laughs> and I'm just like, all I kept about shaking my head was going, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I think I won't ever stop laughing about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, from the and I'm just going, you know, not cut her hair or, you know, have her wear more of a covering. Or a mustache or something. Yeah, and I'm going, this is what you do? She looks like a girl. Right. In an oversized monk robe. Exactly. And then, and she's not top heavy, but I'm going, I still see boobs. Right. Yeah, because <laughs> even when he was wrapping her up, he wasn't wrapping her tight enough for her to do anything. No, and I'm just cracking up going, really? <laughs> oh, my God. So Jack forges a letter of introduction, introducing them as two brothers that are going to be visiting the monastery. So Mickey, as brother Simon, has taken a vow of silence because they don't want her to talk because somebody will know that she's a woman, as if they can't tell anyway. But apparently they couldn't tell. So the brother bringing him to the room had a very creepy smile on his face the whole way. And I don't think it was a character thing. Like, I don't think it was his character who's up to something. I just think it was really awkward. Did you notice that? He had that smirk on his face? Yeah. Because I don't think he knew they were up to something, and I don't think he was up to something. I just think that he doesn't smile much. Mm. Number one, that was bad casting as a monk. Yeah. And the smile, I think, it was just awkward. Well, I think it was to throw us off because I actually thought it was him. He was the one that was up to no good. Yeah, so that was my impression when I first watched that. He was the one that didn't want to get caught. So that's what I thought it was. And then I'm going, oh, okay, it's not him. Okay, that makes sense because it was awkward. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, So then they arrive at their room and, of course, all the predictable things happen. They have to share one room and they find out the showers are communal and so are the bathrooms. And then they try to find Brother Curie, who was the Whispering Monk, the one who they think can predict the future. I knew I had his name in here somewhere. So the other brothers are worried that they're journalists. So the head monk has the smiling guy keep an eye on them. And this was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. He followed about two feet behind them. And when they went and waited for Brother Curie's tray to come out of the kitchen... So they could follow the server to Brother Curie while the smiling guy follows maybe five feet behind. They follow the guy with the tray about three feet behind, and the other monk is still following right behind them. I mean, mm-hmm. they may as well have been in a conga line. They were mm-hmm. all following so close to each other. Right, and nobody turned to look around. Right, and Brother Curie's tray comes out with the label Brother Curie. Like, how many other trays are they delivering? Oh, I keep on saying this, this was not comedy, huh? <laughs> Oh, my God. It was so ridiculous. Like, they were all in one shot following each other two feet behind, and nobody knew anybody was behind. Come on. And even the thing is, why would you follow somebody on the first night? Well, they said they were only going to be there one night because they thought it was going to be easy to get the pen. Well, yeah, okay. But still, you can't do it right away as soon as you walked in the door. Right. I walk in the door and start following the tray of hoops. Right. So they also speak in their full volume voice as they're trying to sneak to see Brother Curie. Mm-hmm. So they're threatened by the head brother to leave Brother Curie alone when they're found sneaking around. This is a burden for him, and we, he's taken a vow of silence and all this stuff to leave him alone. And the smiling guy brings him back to the room. Like, at this point, I would have thrown him out. But no, he just brings him back to the room. 
Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Space, the final frontier, or is it? Discover the podcast of a couple of moms who love Star Trek and happen to have kids on the autism spectrum. Join Vicki and Elizabeth as we explore strange new worlds, talking about the new Star Trek Discovery series, autism, and whatever else comes to mind. We're Moms Going Boldly, and you can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. Hey, Dud Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka. You can listen at EurekaRewatch.com on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So Mickey once again yells all her frustrations about the situation to Ryan while they're out raking the grass with an earshot of everybody and nobody seems to hear them. Yes! Mm-hmm. Like they never heard a whispering. So Jack, like Artie, shows up to help, and he made a duplicate of the pen so they wouldn't notice when Ryan and Mickey take it back when they find it. So it turns out the head of the monastery is actually Rupert Selden, the original purchaser of the pen, because if you remember, they looked it up in the book. Mm-hmm. And he's wanted for murder. So he and Brother Curie are imposters posing as brothers and using the pen to cause the death of anyone who gets in their way because they want to sell the monastery and take all the money. And they also mentioned writing a book about the Oracle of Death. Mm-hmm. When Frank, who's Brother Curie, worries about Ryan and Mickey asking questions and wants out of the arrangement he has with the head monk, the head monk writes about Frank's death, and he has his head chopped off. So the head monk tries to kill Mickey by writing about a poisonous spider. And a spider does come into their room, but it's not poisonous and they're not hurt. Except they make a hell of a lot of noise. And Jack comes yelling that the whole place can hear you, except that nobody else comes running. Right. But this is the other thing I couldn't figure out either. Who opened up the door to see them in here? Jack. Why did I think it was the grinning monk? That's later, I think. What I couldn't understand is she's in there in her high-thigh underwear, and I don't know what kind of T-shirt she got on that's tied. And I'm going, you're not recognizing that this is a female because he's got on boxers and she's got on underwear, thigh-highs? Yeah, but that was Jack. But the thing was, he comes running in saying the whole place can hear you, except nobody else comes. Right. And yeah, she's in her underwear and... But you don't even know who's coming in the door. Exactly. That's what I mean. They don't know how to whisper. You know, she's yelling and screaming because the spider's on her. And why is she wearing that to bed? Because you don't know who's coming in the door. Thank you, because there's no lock on the door. Exactly. Right, and why wouldn't you just have boxers and, and what well, he has on? Right, exactly. And you got it tied in a knot. <laughs> they later find out that the real brothers, Matthew and Simon, who we didn't realize that when Jack wrote them the letter of introduction, he used real monks' names. They find out later that the real brothers, Matthew and Simon, were stung by a poisonous spider at their monastery. And I don't know if they died or not. I don't know if they ever said. So Drake, who's the smiling guy, is still keeping an eye on them. And he follows Mickey to the shower and realizes that she's a woman after looking through a hole in the wall. So my question is, why is there a peephole in the shower? You don't want me to go there, do you? No, <laughs> no I know where you're going. <laughs> We keep it as G, folks. We keep it as G. <laughs> so 
the head monk catches Jack in his office and ties him up in the guillotine because Jack's looking for the pen. Mickey, not knowing they've been found out, goes to look for the pen while Ryan looks for Jack. All the while, the monastery is in the process of being sold. So Mickey finds the pen and switches it for the duplicate one. Ryan finds Jack and saves him from the blade. Thank you for informing me about the switch, Sister Simon. Or should I say, Mickey, hand it over. I would have preserved your epitaphs in a more dignified way, but someone rudely stole my diary. Ah, this will do nicely. The imposters came to the monastery posing as monks to meet certain death. So, of course, the head, the head monk writes what he thinks will be Nicky and Ryan's death, or the imposters will suffer something. But he didn't have his diary, so he grabbed a piece of paper from Jack, which happens to be the receipt of the original purchase of the pen. Oh, I saw this one coming. Because he's actually the imposter. Yes. Mm-hmm. They came to remove the sacred pen from its rightful owner. But tragedy will strike. Now, all I have to do is fill in your names. You should never write what you've already signed. Rupert, stop your name on the original invoice, remember? The blade chases him around the room (laughs) and kills him. And that's it. Unlike Warehouse, a lot of people die in this. Yeah. And they don't seem to care that all these people are dying. It's so funny. It's too comical. They have to see this. It is. It is. And I'm hoping we'll get used to the, you know, when you start watching something and it's kind of hokey and corny, but then you get used to it. Yeah. I'm hoping we'll get used to it. Like I said, I loved this when it was on the air, but now it didn't age as well as I hoped. Right. So what did you think? I mean, everything seemed to be a little bit predictable and with her being loud and you know, there's no whispering and, and following this conga line. It's like, you know, really? And, and and like I said, it took me a minute to realize that they are the imposters, you know, trying to sell. And so that took me a minute because I did. I thought the smiling priest was the one. I'll call him the smiling priest or the grinning priest was the one. So they had me fooled because I actually thought it was him. Right. And as it turned out, he was the one who came in and tried to stop it. Right. So that's what I was like. Okay. So that was the little twist. So that was happy about that because I said, okay, you thought you knew everything. That kind of surprised you. And I'm going, okay. So I had two surprises and I was like, okay, that's good. So I I was happy about that. I said, you don't know everything. And um, I was happy with that. If you ever get a chance to watch it, and if it is on YouTube, watch it. You have to watch it and then you'll see what we're saying when we chuckle at some of the, the dialogue and clothes, everybody would understand, especially if they're around our age, you would really get the, the pun of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really have anything else. It seemed like I had pages and pages of notes, but it went pretty quickly. It was simple, but yeah, it was good. I, I enjoyed it. It was just, you know. Yeah, it is. I, I enjoy it too. It's kind of funny, but mm-hmm. I do enjoy it. We'll be back shortly with the next two episodes. So we'll talk to you next time. Okay, see you next time. All right, bye. This is Doug reminding you to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash 13th Warehouse, on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse, and on Instagram at Eureka underscore Warehouse. You can listen to The 13th Warehouse on our website, the13thwarehouse.com, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. Theme music for the 13th Warehouse, Friday the 13th, the series edition. Suspense Night, provided by Anton Kornienko. Pixabay user 147-98912. Free for personal or commercial use. See you next time at the warehouse.